Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Thank you, Mr. President. Just to follow up on that, unifying uh, crime reporting statistics, numbers from your own Border Patrol, numbers from this government show that the amount of uh, illegal immigrants are down. There is not violence on the border. And that there's most, violence on the there's border? not as much violence no. oh, as, really? let me, wait a minute, wait a minute, let, let me finish the killed. question, please, let me finish the question, Two weeks please. ago, 26 people were killed I, in I a gunfight on the border, I understand what you're a saying. mile away from where I went. I, under, I was there, I understand, that's not the question, the question is, do we forget about that? No, I'm not forgetting about it, I'm asking you to clarify where you get your numbers, because most of the uh, DEA crime reporting statistics that we see show that drugs are coming across at the ports of entry, that illegal immigration is down, and the violence is down. Okay. So what do you base okay. your uh, facts let me, let me, on? Come on, let's go. Sort and of, secondly... Sort of, uh, no, no, you get one. You get one. Well, well the second question is... Wait, sit down. Sit down. Could you, could you please answer? Sit down. You get one um, question. Uh, I please. get my numbers from a lot of sources, like Homeland Security, primarily, and the numbers that I have from Homeland Security are a disaster. And you know what else is a disaster? The numbers that come out of Homeland Security, Kirsten, for the cost that we spend and the money that we lose because of illegal immigration. Billions and billions of dollars a month. Billions and billions of dollars. And it's unnecessary. So your own government stats are wrong, are you saying? No, no. I use many stats. Could you I share those stats, stats with us? Let me tell you, you have stats that are far worse than the ones that I use. But I use many stats, but I also use Homeland Security. All right, next and question. And do you, wait a minute, just a quick Go follow-up. Let's Go. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, June 12, 2019, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show. My guest today is coming to us live from the White House. Brian Karam is the White House correspondent for Playboy, but as you'll learn, he's been covering the presidency since the Reagan administration. You might also know Brian from his tough questioning of both Sarah Sanders and Donald Trump himself. In fact, we played his best-known confrontation with Trump at the top of the show today. Watch for his forthcoming book, Just Ask the Question. By the way, if you like what you hear, please make sure to support this show by subscribing at bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. And now my conversation with the great Brian Karam at the White House. Hello? Brian Karam, it's Bob Seska. How are you? Hey, Bob. How are you doing? 
Great, great. Live from the White House, Brian Karam from Playboy Magazine. All right, now, uh, if anyone from the administration wanders by, you have to put them on the phone for me. Just say, hey, hey, this guy wants to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) If that happens, I will. It probably won't. They'll see me and turn around and go the other way. (laughs) Are you inside the building right now? Yeah. Mm. But in fact, give me a second. Can you call me back in about two minutes? I'll walk outside where the reception is better and we can talk. It sounds good right now. I mean, it's it's actually kind of cool, too, that you're inside the White House. The call is coming from okay. inside the building. So if, if anything goes haywire, maybe we can uh, reset that way. But for now, everything sounds good. Okay. All right. And, and by the way, what are the rules for having your cell phone inside the White House? I thought they uh, were confiscating those things. Well, that would be if you work for them, but I don't. Oh. I don't work for White House. <laughs> right? Okay. I wasn't. They sure. would not have me work for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, and we're going to get into many reasons why here in a second. But uh, yeah, I thought it was an across-the-board thing, like no more phones, no more laptops inside the building. But you're saying it's only for no. uh, the administration, right? Right. For those who work at the White House. For uh, those who work here for other organizations, it's not a. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's not a thing. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting up here in uh, in Germantown, Maryland, Montgomery County, your old stomping grounds. You you wrote for the uh, Montgomery County. Oh, my God. I ran the. Uh... What was oh, Wait, what was that sound? What did I just hear in the background? Uh, I was walking past the uh, bathroom. Oh, OK. So what, what was going on in there? Was Jim Acosta taking a crap or something? What was. I don't know what was going on there. I walked past it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So you wrote for the uh, Montgomery County Sentinel, which every time I see that name, I always think of the uh, the Michael Keaton movie, The Paper. You know where they get where Spalding Gray says, "We're the Sentinel. We cover the world." So, and he goes, "I don't fucking care. I don't fucking work in work. I work in fucking New York City. So go fuck yourself." Yeah, my. Awesome. I love that. Outsta- yeah, one of my all-time favorite uh, journalism movies. Totally underrated and just such a great, great tight script and, a, and an incredible film. Just an inside look at the uh, inner workings of a New York newspaper. But uh, So you started at the Montgomery County Sentinel. How did you end up uh, all the way now um, working inside the White House? Well, I, I didn't start at the Sentinel. I, I uh, ran those two papers for a few years while I... My kids were in school. I, I started out covering uh, the White House in 86 with Ronald Reagan. Um, and then covered, I, I've covered every presidential race since 84. Since, 80, so, uh, since 84? I worked at Fox wow. News and I worked at NBC. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I was at America's Most Wanted for five years. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had no idea. America's Most Wanted. How do you end up going from uh, covering the White House over to working on uh, America's Most Wanted? Uh, well, I, um, I came to, uh, the Washington DC area in 90, oh, 91 yeah. after I got into a, a disagreement with, uh, then president George Bush in a news conference in San Antonio, Texas. I was, oh, uh, yeah. I was a political reporter at, uh, uh, the NBC affiliate there. And I just got back from the Gulf war. I'd spent about four or five years covering, uh, the drug problem on the border and, um, so I'd asked uh, President Bush a question. He told me to sit down as well, and <laughs> I didn't. And, Outstanding. And so uh, that that's how I ended up in D.C. 
So your your history asking tough questions of presidents goes back, uh, you know, a few decades now. So you're in there and you're asking the tough questions that maybe some of the uh, some of the majors aren't asking. Or do you feel uh, I think everybody asks good questions. I yeah. defend everybody in the press corps that works here. I I think every one of us are just trying to get our questions answered. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a bad question. There are only bad answers. Um, yeah. I think every reporter here does their level best to ask a, a, a question that's relevant mm-hmm. uh, to the people of the United States, and it it behooves the president to respect the questions and answer them rather than to demean the question. Yeah. And so I I don't think there's any reporter here who is here to do anything other than their job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but just a matter of contrast. I mean, there's a marked difference between watching you ask a question of the president. Say, for example, we're going to talk here in a second about uh, you questioning uh, Trump in the Rose Garden about his border statistics. There's a difference between that and some of the some of the questions we often get where I notice that you take a harder line approach than most. And that's not to besmirch the, the jobs of the rest of the press corps. I'm just saying that right. you tend to be you tend to lean in a lot more than some of the other uh, members of the White House press corps. What's the overall mood right now uh, among your colleagues in the press room? Are you guys uh, exasperated, energized? I would imagine morale has never been lower, huh? Well, I, I we're here to do our job and we do our job every day and um, regardless of who's here or what the issues are. So you just try to keep your head down and do your job. Um, some people make it more difficult than others. This president is remarkably good at making it difficult. I've never had anyone call me the enemy of the people before. Yeah. I never had death threats before this guy. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the morale is, is, I mean, we're just here. We're just professionals doing our job, man. And, yeah. and, so, yeah, it, it's exasperating, to say the least, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop you from doing what you're doing. Do you guys take the enemy of the people thing seriously, or does it just get tossed of under course, the pile with everything you, else? You, get, yeah. you ask anybody here, yeah. like I said, you ask anybody here, and that's, uh, that is something that is on your mind mm-hmm. uh, no matter what you're doing and no matter who you are yeah. from, you know, a community newspaper to a network television station. You are having to deal with the fact that the president of the United States has determined that you are the enemy of the people instead of one of the people, and that there are people who will follow him um, and will believe that as well. And that's just not the case. And it's very difficult for us to push back because we come, you know, it's not a level playing field. These aren't two people having a disagreement on the playground. This is the president of the United States and there's an awful lot of power in that office. And I respect that office, but I do my job and that is to ask questions. And I will ask what I believe are appropriate questions to the president of the United States or, or anyone else for that matter. And I don't want to go over the line and, you know, I'm not going to walk out of the place. I'm not, we're not going to hold hands in solidarity. We're not going to storm the Bastille. We're going to do our job. Mm -hmm. And that's what everyone has to remember is that, you know, we're not activists, we're reporters. And some of us write columns and some of us write news, but all of us are here simply to get answers. And it's not wrong for the president of the United States and his people to want to put his best foot forward. It was Larry Speaks who said, you know, don't tell us how to stage the news. We won't tell you how to report the news. The difference with this president is he wants to stage the news, tell us how to report the news, and then at the end of the day, tell us it was wrong what we did. <laughs> so that's the, that is, that's the market difference yeah. 
between this president and others. Mm -hmm. And it's a difficult situation to be in, a difficult situation to work in. It makes everyone's job that much more difficult to do. And it makes everyone's uh, job that that much more stressful. But like I said, I I hats off to everybody in the press corps here at the White House because they're all just doing their job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and now your job covering the president includes getting death threats. I mean, what does your email look like these days? I assume that you get death threats every time you open your mouth in the press room. Is that the uh, is that the case? Well, I get overt threats. I've had a couple of direct threats. Um, one guy called me up and said he was going to kill me. I said, no, you're not going to kill me. He said, yeah, I'm going to kill you. I said, no. <laughs> Right now, you're sitting in your mother's basement. You're fat. You're overweight. You haven't worked in three years. <laughs> you're eating Cheetos, and you can't get a date. Nobody likes you. <laughs> and there was a long silence on the end of the phone. And then he said, uh, you're mean. I go, I'm mean. You called me up to, to threaten to kill me, and I'm mean. No way. And I hung up on him. So His response but, was, you're being mean? My God, yeah. the, I mean, the victimhood syndrome among these people is staggering. Well, the victim syndrome goes both ways, too. There's yeah. people on the far left who feel that Bernie bros and such who feel, feel that they were victimized. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's the problem. Everybody's looking for a, a victim and not taking responsibility. But that's just me. Hey. <laughs> Jesus. And do you because clearly you took a just as an aggressive approach with this this guy calling you up and saying he's going to kill you and then whining as soon as you're mean to him back. Um, You know, is this something that uh, uh, you take seriously or do you kind of. Yeah, you have to take him seriously. But here's the deal. Look, if you're going to try to whack a a White House reporter. Yeah. and take on the White House. I mean, you're going to climb over a fence. There's yep. Secret Service. You're going to be turned into Swiss cheese before you get five steps in the <laughs> building. Yeah. So I'm not really worried about that. My concern is for the young journalist who's just starting out somewhere, who's working in, um, I don't know, Pocatello, Idaho, or you know, or North Dakota, or anywhere. It's Germantown, Maryland. Maybe yeah. it's the first job in the business. And you go out to cover a county fair and some, you know, right-wing nutcase nationalist racist decides that they're going to do, you know, they're going to make a political statement and take you out. Mm. That is a softer, easier target, and that's the real target to that you need to worry about. Yeah. And that's that's the real issue facing the press. And, let, and let's be honest, the the <laughs> the national press, the White House press corps, is not the enemy of the people mm-hmm. and we're not fake news. Right. And when you lump everyone into that and call everyone fake news, then everyone across the world, the president of the United States has incited and helped undermine the first amendment and the rights in free speech all around the world. Yeah. And you take a look at where the best journalism, the most important journalism is done is at, at is at the community journalism level. Well, Peter Alexander does the best work at the White House. I'll say that. Yeah. (laughs) Peter just walked by, so I had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was great. You know, he was right there in the thick of that whole thing in the, uh, what was it, in the East Room? Yeah, but community journalism is, and and so if you're going to compare us and call us all fake media, Mm. what you're doing is you're putting at odds and at risk 
the people who are going out and covering high school football games and the city council meetings and the county council meetings and, and state legislatures. You're giving a roadmap to crooked politicians everywhere yeah. to use that term and that phrase to go after legitimate reporting. And that is the real challenge, and that is the real threat, and that is what he either doesn't care or, or knows about and doesn't and, and is happy to do it. And that's, the, that's what we, we've got to get past, yeah. and that's hard to do. As a citizen, though, I mean, put your role as a journalist aside. I mean, as a citizen, the president of the United States calling you out and, and taking such a an opposition approach to what you do. How does that make you feel? I mean, how does that how does that sit with you as an American to know that your president has such contempt for what you do? The disconnect there has got to be uh, disillusioning, to say the least, huh? Well, you cannot allow your personal feelings to interfere with the job that you do. Yeah. So there has to be a disconnect between the personal feelings and mm -hmm. the job that you do. There's no other way around it. If you get involved with your feelings too much, you're pretty well screwed and yeah. being able to do your job. Mm -hmm. So you don't do that. As far as being a citizen of the United States, I'm exercising my rights as a citizen of the United States being here and asking questions. So yeah. that uh, you try to keep, that in perspective as well. Well, it seems to me as if, like, past presidents, for example, would criticize the press. I mean, this is nothing new, uh, presidents criticizing the press corps. But at the same time, the, the president also understood the nature of the First Amendment. The president also understood your mandate as a journalist. And the president also was, you know, reasonably friendly in past administrations with the press corps when, you know, everyone, when, when you were in downtime, you're on Air Force One, you're traveling, you know, there's some conversation there that goes on off the record and there's a there's a, a less adversarial approach and more of a collegial approach when uh, when, there, when guards are down but not anymore an, well there's always going to be an adversarial relationship between the president of the united states and the press corps mm -hmm. the president wants to put his best foot forward the press corps is there to find out what's really going on yeah as i said earlier the difference is this president is far more thin-skinned mm -hmm. and does not take and takes everything as a personal slight. Yeah. And that's probably has to do with the fact that how he became president. And I, I can understand his, 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 although I, I understand it. I don't sympathize or empathize with it, but I do understand why he feels the way he feels, but nonetheless, we're still there to do a job. Yeah. And it's, and in the past presidents have, recognize the adversarial relationship and still at the same time, as you pointed out, we're able to have some personal uh, relationships with members of the press and still were, was able to have a somewhat collegial relationship with most members of the press. Yeah. But this president hasn't come to the white house correspondence association dinner. This president has um, continued to call is recently as yesterday on, you know, the South lawn called us, uh, you know, fake news. So he, he's got his, uh, he, he's set his train down a certain path yep. and he hasn't veered and whatever else you may say about this president, one of the things you have to give him is, is he, when he picks a message, he stays focused on his message and he has not veered away from his three word slogans, <laughs> build the wall, lock her up. We're yeah. fake news. I mean, 
He, I mean, he stays on his his, his yeah. Uh, tasks. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, a lot of people criticize his uh, lack of experience in politics, but I've never seen anyone uh, with the kind of message discipline that he has, and that's not necessarily a good thing in this case. But you know, I think well, other message discipline is a good thing because yeah. it does denote transparency. Yeah. And when he says he's the most transparent president in the history of the United States. Although you may not like him, you have to acknowledge the fact that he is fairly transparent. He may not know what he's doing from day to day. <laughs> That's transparent. Oh, yeah. But when he does know what he's doing and he does it, he continues to do it and he stays focused and his message discipline is – and that's why he's successful. Yeah. Because he has a base that he plays to and he stays on that note. You know, you may call him a one-trick pony um, – I saw a sign today that compared him to Howard Beale from the, you know, the movie network, you know, I'm, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore yeah. that he's, you know, that kind of guy mad as a hatter. Mm-hmm. And you may think he's that, but he does have message discipline and he does know how to, uh, foment his, his base and get him out and active well, message discipline aside. I mean, what sets Trump apart from let's say Barack Obama, George W. Bush, as far as transparency goes? Well, uh, we know what, uh, well, do you want me to criticize Obama? I'll go back to the nine times that he used the espionage act and pretended like he was a friend of the press. <laughs> that still angers me. Yeah. Uh, you know, pretended he was, uh, uh, if you know, he was the savior of the democratic party yet, Donald Trump is a direct result of the fact that uh, Barack Obama didn't build the bench strength of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is so completely inept that they can't even (laughs) – they couldn't go out and – they didn't even campaign in Michigan in 2016. Trump himself said you know, that was an election they should have won. Everyone thought that they were going to win, but they didn't. Now, you may say that it was Russian collusion, and yes, you would be correct, but nonetheless – Fewer people voted in the 2016 election, and a lot of the Democrats didn't turn out. So the Democrats who pretend to be, you know, the party of the people in the Big Tent are are not as transparent as Trump. And Trump is very transparent. He wants it his way. He wants it his way now. And if you don't give him give it to him his way now, he's going to scream, yell, rant, and rave about it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really no. I, I mean, anybody who pretends like there's any great depth or hidden meaning to what Donald Trump does doesn't understand Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah, that's Donald true. Trump is about one person, yeah. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very transparent. Yeah, he, he seems transparent about what he's thinking. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily um, for, for his own purposes. I don't know if politically that's a good idea or not. But I mean, the fact is that at least we know what he's thinking. That's why I always say uh, having his Twitter feed there and, and monitoring his Twitter feed is is fairly valuable. It's important to know what the president is saying and thinking from time to time. Well, he likes that instead of a dialogue with people. Yeah. So, again, he's being transparent as a demagogue. Right, that right. His... He is not – when I say transparent, you know who he is. I'm right. not saying that he's being transparent in giving information to the American public. Yeah, Those yeah. are two different issues. Yeah. And, and as far as transparency goes, we know who Donald Trump is. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who Donald Trump is, you're living under a rock. That's right. But if you think, if you think Donald Trump is being uh, transparent and providing information to the American public, I would say that you are grossly in error. Now, you know, when – and I assume you've covered his rallies in the past. Um, 
when he does yes, that, I have. when he does that thing where he's where he points you out and he says, "Look at the look at all of those people there. They're all of those fake news." When that happens and you're surrounded by Donald Trump's red hats, you're surrounded by all of his supporters. It seems to me as if that would take on a heightened level of of insecurity, a heightened level of, oh, shit, what's going to happen as a consequence of this? What's the, the mood? What what are you thinking? What's running through your head when he's directly pointing at you and going, you are terrible and all of these people need to agree with me that you're terrible? The, the confrontational aspect of having his people right there when he's saying it has to add some sort of uh, increased level of fear, doesn't it? No, no. At, at this point in time, it's all rhetoric and hmm. and bully based BS. It's not <laughs> something that any member of the press or takes too seriously, because when you meet people at these rallies, you find that most of them are fairly decent people. The last rally I went to, even though there's chanting "Locker up" and hmm. and you know Donald's great and fake media and all that stuff, when you talk to them individually, they don't they're not that way at all. That they look at it as um, you know, let's go Mets or you know, yeah, let's yeah. go Nats or, you know, it's, it's a cheerleading. It's, it's disgusting that it is such, but it's really nothing more than a cheerleading chant. So basically and it used to be, I mean, there are, there are reporters who have, you know, it, the threats are real and there are reporters yeah. who have, you know, uh, have to have, uh, bodyguards. I, right. I don't, but there are those that do. And that's, Part of covering this White House, so the threats are real. But at the rallies, I find it um, not nearly as dangerous as one would think. And the, the earlier rallies were, but these later rallies have um, that energy level is dissipated. I think uh, even the base tires of him, no. um, and just you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, wow. It's like the circus coming to town. After a while, you know, you've seen the elephant take a dump so many times you don't need to see it anymore yeah so what you're saying is the uh the mood among his supporters and i would consider his rally people as being his uh, his biggest supporters the strongest supporters the the, the most uh, yeah. loyal group and so but they're really you get the sense that they're more in this as fanboys as almost like they're they're viewers of the tv show and they love all the catch they love it when he says what you talking about willis you know they love all the catchphrases and the trappings around it but they're That's not exactly what it is to, to, and donald trump is nothing if not a reality show yeah. Wow. I want to fast forward to uh, last year when you were relentlessly questioning Sarah Sanders about the family separation policy. Um, don't you have any empathy to me is this era's answer to have you left no decency, sir? Take us through that scenario. Did you know or do you ever know when Sarah Sanders is going to call on you or the president for that matter? No, no, you don't. You show up and you raise your hand. Yeah. And uh, I why they call on me, I have no idea. I guess they like the fight. Um, <laughs> at some point in time, they must, or they just feel like, uh, well, but, but the thing is, is look, I'm not asking questions that anybody else wouldn't ask yeah. uh, and, and that you shouldn't ask. Like uh, Helen Thomas told me, there's no such thing as a bad question, only bad answers. Wow. Uh, my first day in this White House, uh, Helen Thomas told me, she's at Brian, um, just ask the question. It doesn't matter if it gets an answer. It doesn't matter what the answer is. But once the question has been asked, then the administration cannot deny that the issue has been put before them. 
And that's the most important thing in asking a question. So you have to ask the difficult questions because otherwise they can always pretend like the difficult situations that they have faced, they haven't seen before. And that's not right. Um, so they know what the they know what the difficult situations are, and every administration wants to deny that that they're oh I didn't know about that. Yeah. So you have to ask the questions. Just ask the question, and so that's always been my watchword uh, here, and that's the way I will always you know do business. Have you ever? Been I in- try to listen. Have you ever been? I try to listen. You try to listen, and, and and of course that's crucial. That's absolutely uh, important because you need yeah. to be able to uh, uh, read between the lines of what they're saying, and the only way to do that is to pay attention to what they actually are saying to get what they're trying not what they're trying to repress in a way. You you get a sense of what they're trying to repress by what they're actually vocalizing, um, and so when. You've asked uh, a lot of tough questions of uh, of this White House in particular, and do you ever get the sense that after you've done that, uh, that there are, uh, let's say, there's triaging afterwards? Do you get the sense that you've motivated them to take a hard look at this or that, or um, to, to find a better way to answer your questions for that matter? I mean, everything from that all the way up to actually trying to figure out, oh, Jesus, do we have a problem on our hands here? Well, yeah, for an example, uh, the question I asked where the president told me to sit down and I'm asking about it, the numbers yeah. of the, uh, you know, to justify what he calls an emergency on the border. Mm-hmm. Only after that, did they start telling us about numbers yeah. before that? It was just an emergency. So yeah, I think the questions in their best, what they do best is motivate a, a, an administration to look over the issue and see if they're asking this question, maybe we do need to answer it. Here's how we answer it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's always the goal as a, as a reporter is to get them to reevaluate and relook at an issue. You, you took the same approach in the Rose Garden as you took with uh, Sarah Sanders on, on so many occasions. Um, and you were asking the president, as you said, about his statistics on the border. Walk us through that scene. Were you aware um, that he was going to be going to you uh, during that particular uh, Rose Garden press conference, or was that a complete surprise? Well, I I, <laughs> I walk into the, the news conferences anticipating that he is going to uh, call on me because I have, I'm a reporter with a question mm-hmm. and I have the, the hutzpah to believe this, but I'm going to ask a good question. Yeah. So I know he likes to mix it up. Uh, I've noticed in the past that he has called on me and Jim Acosta, usually in tandem, uh, mm-hmm. in speaking with, uh, Sam Donaldson, my, my friend and mentor, you know, Sam said he does that because, uh, he wants to show his base. See, there's the, I took on the mean media. I took on the fake news. There's two. And so, yeah, you represent, um, something that he wants to push back against. That's fine. I, I, that's his, that's what he, the reason why he calls on me. I'm going to take advantage of him calling on me to ask what I think is a coaching question and, and an important question. I, his game is his game. Um, I can't, you know, anticipate or judge or jump to any conclusions. I can only ask a question. So if you call on me for whatever reason, I'm going to ask you uh, what I consider to be a fair and tough question. Yeah. And w- what's going through your head? He's starting to yell at you. He's saying, you sit down, that's enough. And he's he's really... Well, if you, if you go back to that East Room again, yeah. all right, so the, the confrontation I had with him in the Rose Garden, he called on Jim first. Jim got him pretty pissed. <laughs> and then he called on me. Yeah. In the East Room, he called on me first, and I got him pretty pissed, and then he called on Jim. <laughs> so 
I, I think it's, I think there is a, uh, definite method to the madness. And so when he called on me and he, uh, I tried to ask him a question, he interrupted me and I said, well, let me finish. Let me ask, ask the question, please, sir. I don't get uh, upset and I don't get engaged. I'm not going to battle him because that's not my job. My job is to ask questions. So I try to continue. And if you go back and you look at that, um, Inter- that uh, that interchange between me and the president, he, he was saying some things that were patently false right. about, you know, being on the border and all this violence and, you know, just a mile away from him. Well, I was, I was there and it wasn't a mile away, it was 150 miles away. So I could have devolved into just a, a rank argument with the man, but that's not my job. Um, my job was to ask him the question and the question I wanted answered actually followed uh, Jim's question and Peter's and a couple others who had asked about statistics and it was about the statistics that I wanted an answer. So I, I ignored the, the bombast. And when he calmed down, I went after the question again. Um, yeah. uh, he couldn't provide an answer. I, in fact, his answer, if you look back at that tape, there's a shot of me. My eyes got real big and wide. because <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, what did I just hear? <laughs> that was just unbelievable. <laughs> And, and in those scenarios, do you feel at all intimidated by the president or are you just kind of doing your job and not really taking the. Well, uh, I'll tell you this much. There were two yeah. people that could intimidate me, God and my father. My <laughs> father is dead and uh, God seems to be letting me breathe. So, I, you know, my, my wife says I can intimidate you, too. And that's true, too. All right. I'll give her that one. But <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world get in line. Yeah. I, I'm not here to be intimidated. I'm here to do a job. And so afterwards, uh, does it take I mean, I imagine that uh, you just because you seem you strike me as someone who just plows forward. You just keep your head down and you move forward. Uh, you're not afterwards, uh, you know, kind of trying to milk it or make a big deal out of no, it. No, man. A- I'm a, look, I'm a, if you want to know what I really am, I'm a former high school football coach. Defense, middle linebacker. You plow ahead when the job's done, you wait yeah. for the next down, and you go back in. That's right. Uh, there's Anybody who thinks that we're here for the glorification of ourselves is just plain wrong. And that's the um, that's the administration's angle. Oh, you're just trying to get more TV time. Oh, you're just trying to make a name for yourself. No, I'm just trying to ask a question. Don't, and I've said this on a number of occasions to the president, to Kellyanne Conway, to Sarah. It's like, why do you always make it about us? You're the ones who make it. I'm here to, I'm just here. The first, in fact, the first time I ever had a confrontation with this administration was two years ago in the briefing room. It was one of Sarah's first briefings, and she wanted us to look at a piece of, of, fake media and accused us of being fake media. And, and I go, look, you know, why do you always come after us? Why do you try to put us in the story? I, I said, you could turn the, the, any one of us here are replaceable. We're just doing our job. We're just asking you a question. Yep. Any one of us in this room, you can turn the channel, you can read somebody else different, but we're stuck with you for four years. So answer the questions. You're, we're there to ask the questions. You're there to answer them. That's and right. she got all upset. I said my piece, and I'd been, and I was done with it. But that's the point. We're not there for us. It's not the greater glorification of. If I want to glorify myself, come out and see me play, you know, rock and roll music. Uh, that's that's where I, you know, that's for me. <laughs> I have fun that way. But wow! So you're you're also job. you're also a musician, huh? Yep. 
Wow. So, and do you have a band? You, I mean, you guys uh, gig around? Because, yep. you know, the reason I ask is I, uh, for my podcast, I use independent recording artists as bumper music. And then I do a kind of a count, like a Casey Kasem countdown show at the end of the month. So if you guys have any recordings, holy hell, I would love to play Brian Karam's band on my show. Uh, go to www.rhythmbanditsband.com. There you go. And that's All right. our... That's our website. Perfect, perfect. I'm gonna have to check that out. And and so I have your permission to play uh, your music on the show. Sure. Outstanding. All right. Well, that's that's super cool. What do you play? What's your uh, instrument? I, I'm the lead singer. You are the lead singer. Holy hell! So the, your voice is your yeah. instrument. That's this amazing. Uh, and you've been doing this for how long? Oh, off and on since high school. Oh my yeah. god. Junior high. So uh, defensive coach football uh reporter intrepid white house correspondent and also lead singer of a band man you're like a renaissance man and author of six books and author of six (laughs) books there you go what's your are you working on a new one you have to be right yep it's called just ask the question now uh, i just have speaking of questions i just have a couple more questions for you i don't know if you're uh, uh short on time or what but um, when you travel with the president, what's the climate on Air Force One with the president on board? Well, I haven't been on Air Force One with this president, so I couldn't tell you. Really? Um, I'm not in the pool, so I, and then I'm not on the travel pool. So I, I would, unless invited to be on Air Force One, I wouldn't be on Air Force One. I see. And I think that this president probably would not invite me. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that, Brian Karam? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I I just get a feeling. I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. Anytime the President of the United States wants to sit down and have an extended conversation with me, I would be happy to have it. Wow. Well, yeah. But what do you hear just in terms of uh, the the pool itself? I mean, you talk to those guys and say, well, what's it like? Well, the people who work for them, the longer trips, they feel like they're trapped. Yeah, I imagine. It's it's almost like being imprisoned. Yeah. Um, For the press, it's it's always as it has been. I mean, I have been on Air Force One, but I mean, not, you know, in a very long time. But it's, you know, you get on, you get in the back of the plane, you get on a flight, you get off. Sometimes they come back and talk to you. Sometimes they don't. It's nice. The seating's nice. It's better than first class. You relax. You enjoy yourself. You get off. That's it. So does the mood lift in the West Wing when the president's out of town? I think the mood lifts in the country, but that's just me. <laughs> what, and just generally speaking, though, what is the, uh, what is the atmosphere in, in the West Wing uh, in this administration as opposed to previous administrations? Because like, all we hear about is just perpetual stress. chaos. Yeah, stress. stress and chaos. Yeah. A lot of stress. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing is stressful. Right. For uh, members of his staff, they make things more difficult than they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for members of the press, it's, it's like dealing with kids a lot of time. It's uh, it's a very difficult situation. I, you know, there was a famous, well, I, it's famous, uh, I think it was in, um, on Huffington Post about a year ago, or six months ago, an article that I loved, and it was like, uh, Donald the fascist uh, will be saved, will we'll be saved from Donald the fascist by Donald the incompetent. Wow. And I've just never seen a group of people, if they actually knew what they were doing, they would be far more dangerous, but they're just not that good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my biggest concern, Brian, is that uh, the next iteration of of Trump is going to come in and they're going to be smart. It's gonna, we're, Suddenly we're going to have smart Trump, uh, competent Trump, 
and then we're really screwed. You're assuming that there are smart or competent uh, politicians in this country. And, uh, brother, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> well, I'm thinking more in terms of smart uh, indicating conniving than, so, well, I guess Trump is well, pretty conniving, too. Conniving. Yeah, I haven't met a, I have never met a politician that isn't conniving. I, I, honest to God, I mean, to some extent, they all are. You know, there's an old saying by H.L. Mencken that I think holds, you know, true. It is, you know, politicians do not help the commonwealth. They prey on the common wheel. It is to the best advice for all of us to hold their powers to an irreducible minimum and their compensation to next to nothing. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about all politicians. Right. And that's um, uh, the Congress, the Senate. There are, with few exceptions, and there are some people that I like individually that do a good job. And regardless of party, I would, you know, I, I, I think they try hard. Uh, John McCain was one of them. Uh, Jamie Raskin is one of them. Yeah. I, and now whether or not you agree with their policies, I think that they were people who were trying to put country above self. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I find that most people in the Senate and most people in the House, and when it comes to uh, Mitch McConnell, doubly so, I think Mitch McConnell is there only for himself, doesn't care about anything. And I think most congressmen are that way, too. And if you want to see what the upcoming generation is, look at Matt Gates. Here's a spoiled, rotten little kid, who, you know, who's still busy going after cheerleaders and doesn't understand that he represents and doesn't even know the history of the United States yeah. enough to take on someone like John Dean. So it's a, it's very disparaging Yeah, and, as and, far as I'm concerned as a reporter to see what passes off as uh, politicians these days. Right. Well, and to be more specific, um, you know, I get the sense that Donald Trump doesn't think very strategically. Everything is transactional. Everything is immediate. It does, he's not, he's not playing three. You, you don't get the sense that he's playing three-level chess of some sort, do you? I don't think he can spell three-level chess. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, that answers my question. Do you, I mean, ultimately, though, on a pretty serious note, do you think the presidency recovers from uh, this guy? Do you think the presidency recovers from this Mad King, uh, you know, kind of? I think the Constitution is a remarkable document. Yeah. I think this country is amazingly resilient. And I think if you want this country to heal from the wounds that we have given ourselves, that we must first educate people better than we do. Secondly, you've got to enter the gerrymandering of districts. Third, you've got to get out. And, and the minimum thing that you should do is vote. Yeah. The minimum requirement to be a, a member of this republic is to vote. Everybody's worried about soccer practice. Everybody's worried about their dentist. Everybody's worried about groceries. But you know what? You'll worry less about those if you spend just a little bit more time getting involved at the school board level, yep. at the city council level, mm -hmm. at the county council level. Those people make decisions that affect you directly every day. The state legislature should not be. And I've gone to meetings at state legislatures where there's nobody there. Right. And so government is going to do what government does. But if you want things to go differently, you got to show up and be involved and Absolutely. you have to support reporters. You have to support them mm -hmm. that, that, that there's no other way around that. Yep. And today there are whole parts of government that go unreported on because there aren't any reporters to do it.
And there's a reason why the press is the only industry listed in the First Amendment. I mean, there's a very specific reason why that is. And it's it's because the, the founders saw extraordinarily extraordinary value in what you do. And in order to maintain a republic, you guys have to keep doing your job. Let me ask you before uh, before I let you go, Brian, do you have a do you have a set of questions ready to go for today? I know there's a press conference coming up in about always. An hour. Yeah. Do you, can I you, always have a top four or five. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us like one or, or two of the questions or all of them? Well, mine are conditional on what is said and what he says. And mm-hmm. I go in, like I said, I go in with a list, mm-hmm. but I adapt to the uh, moment to hear what he has to say. And I sure would like a, an answer or an explanation of what he told me yesterday when he when he said he, you know, he's not going to use the CIA to go after North Korea. Um Wow. Think surveillance yeah. of North Korea through the CIA is important, so I'd like him to clarify that statement. But that's probably what's uh, foremost on my mind right now. <sighs> Wonderful. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. So, uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Keep sticking it to these crooks. Journalists like you are, are on the front lines, uh, especially now. And uh, speaking for myself, I want you to know how grateful we are to have you on the wall. Thank you, Brian, and thank you for your service to this country. Well, thank you very much. Anytime. We'll talk to you soon. We'll see you on Twitter. Okay. All right, bye-bye.